Hey everyone, this is Greg Potters from albumreview.net and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm going to review Frank Zappa's 1969 album, Hot Rats. And for this review today, I am privileged to announce my first guest on the albumreview.net podcast. He is a Zappa enthusiast, professional musician whose band opened a U.S. tour for Maroon 5, he is also the current personal production assistant to fame actor Benicio Del Toro. He's a teacher instructor at the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles. And best of all, he has been my friend for 44 years. His name is Mr. Zach Stoff. And right out of the gate, I want to correct myself as I'm going to be introducing Zach again in a moment here. I incorrectly stated that he's an instructor at the NYU Film School. So my apologies, Zach. Either way, the New York Film Academy is no slouch either. So sit back and listen to my first ever guest on the Album Review Podcast, and I hope you enjoy. I know, I know what you're thinking. This guy, Greg Potters, lives in the past. Every album he talks about was recorded like 15 years ago, right? Boring. Give me some new stuff. Well, you're welcome to check out my previous reviews on albumreview.net. Go to the Kiwanuka Review. Go to the Greta Van Fleet and the Hum Reviews as those albums were released 2019, 2017, and 2020. History, in my opinion, no, not in my opinion, history dictates the future. And in many cases, it, it, it also helps civilizations make better decisions for their future. And it, it educates us about our background and greatly influences us for the future. The past gives us courage and protects us. So today I want to talk about Frank Zappa's second solo album, Hot Rats. And I have a Frank Zappa enthusiast, very, very, very close friend, instructor at NYU Film School, and also um, personal assistant to Mr. Benicio Del Toro here with me, Zach Stoff. And Zach was really the one that really introduced me to Frank Zappa. And I wanted to bring him on this, this podcast because he really knows a heck of a lot more than I do. And I've really been just a casual Frank Zappa fan. But when I heard Hot Rats, um, this album was released all the way back in 1969, which blew my mind. So um, Zach, you, you brought Frank Zappa to my attention. It probably was 1989, 1990 or 91 around that time frame. Um, and when I went back and looked, you know, the music of 1969, the popular music charts consisted of the Beatles, Glenn Campbell, the Supremes, Cletus, 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 Credence Clearwater Revival, and Blood, Sweat and Tears and Blind Faith. What is, before we go into Hot Rats, Zach, what does Frank Zappa mean to you? Oh, man. Well, first of all, just to quick little backtrack on my bio. I'm actually an instructor at the New York Film Academy. Um, 
maybe someday NYU, but but right now it's New York Film Academy <laughs> in in LA. Not even New better, York. Um, even better. <laughs> but thanks for the intro. Uh, well, like a lot of um, a lot of bands, I a lot of my interests were the product of of an older uh, older brother who is a musician and exposed me, introduced me to a lot of uh, a lot of artists, including a lot of you know, progressive kind of music that I wouldn't otherwise have listened to, you know, being a high school kid in the, in the mid nineties. Um, and Frank Zappa was definitely one of those. Um, you know, I would just overhear a lot of, uh, his, uh, music bleeding out from my brother's room and just got a lot of interest that way. Um, and I was just starting to kind of get into playing guitar and bass myself. Um, I would say I, I definitely uh, was attracted more to the instrumental side of Zappa. Um, probably again, through my brother trying to play those songs um, and, and approaching it more uh, on an instrumental level. And I think, you know, learning more about Zappa, I found that he has those two sides to him. Um, well, he has many sides to him, but, you know, the, the two that, that seem to be very defined are like, you know, he's really loved by guitar players and he's also, right. you know, and, but his, his career and, you know, his talents also span so many different things. He composes such complex, amazing music. Um, he's a, he's a really interesting lyricist and just writes really interesting kind of wacky lyrics and very political. Um, and I'd say for me, it got more, about just, you know, getting really fascinated and just obsessed with his style of playing guitar. You know, I would and say what, for me- How did you get, like what, what, what made you get obsessed? It was just, you know, at that time, you know, we were getting into, you know, jam bands like Fish, obviously in mid nineties, right. early mid nineties. So we were already kind of like attuned to that kind of jam approach of, um, uncertainty, you know, I would say that's one thing I come back to when I think about Zappa and I think about how he compares to a guy like Trey Anastasio, who I was really into at the time. So my ears were already kind of like open to that kind of stuff. And I, and what attracted me to Zappa was you just, he brought this, um, uh, experimental, uh, exploration to the live guitar, uh, sound and approach you know he created this idea of taking like that studio mentality of like i'm gonna try out this filter i'm gonna try out this sound and i'm gonna explore things and try things out on stage in a live environment right in front of people and so right. the result of that was like you never knew what you were gonna get and his his solos his songs just took you on that journey and to me that was just so exciting it still is i still just get sucked into his his solos and his songs it's important to mention as well that zach has a, a deep musical background um the list goes on and on but i think one of the notable things and i'm, I'm probably missing a bunch but i had an opportunity in 2010 to watch zach live on stage open for maroon five and he played um, with a reputable band that um, 
was incredibly impressive. And so um, I just, I mentioned this not only because I'm proud as a, as a friend um, to have been witnessed that opportunity, but um, you know, it obviously I think helps you listeners understand like, okay, who is this guy? Like, why is Greg bringing him in? Not only do I respect his opinion, but I mean, you know, we grew up together and half of the music that I grew up listening to, half of it was, was influenced by Zach or from his older brother. As I was uh, going off onto, you know, Poison and Warrant and yeah, <laughs> all but those then, bands. But there, you, but there you have a lot of Zappa crossovers too with, with Steve Vai and, um, yeah. right, like guys. And that's the other thing that I learned about him, you know, just in, in getting more, it was like how, how much of a perfectionist he was and how, um, how he, he, he vetted the people that played in his band, like the, 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 right. uh, the tryouts and the auditions and all that stuff were just crazy. Like he just, he just hammer and just torture them for hours and hours to try to make sure. And, and so, yeah, that would, I just mentioned that cause you mentioned those, those eighties, like glam rock bands and he and you can you can probably find zappa songs that have that sound like some of that stuff um, agreed but yeah um definitely like you know playing in a, in a in a band having the experience of playing you know venues and and um multiple you know, being, venues it wasn't just that one show you played you know multiple venues in front of yeah. thousands of people yeah. It's a great experience. It's a really humbling, awesome experience. I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, when they're, when they're in that world and they get that opportunity, you know, kind of take it for granted. I, I, yeah, I definitely, I was a little bit older than some of the other guys in the band. Right. And I definitely, I think in just about every venue we played, I think I took a moment, you know, before the show and on the stage to just, just take a second and say, wow, this is pretty amazing. And this may not happen again. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real, um, honor and like really, you know, um, a lucky thing to be able to, uh, be on a big tour like that. Um, you know, I, I think it came a lot, came about pretty organically, um, you know, with a lot of hard work, but, you know, I, I, I had a previous relationship with, with Maroon 5 and that's right. Um, you did film work for them. Yep. I, I was kind of their, their on tour videographer yep. guy for a number of years and, and did a documentary uh, for them on a DVD uh, called Friday, uh, live Friday the 13th, which is uh, they recorded their concert at the Santa Barbara bowl um, and then put a couple special features out on the DVD and, and I was sort of the guy to do that, do those because I had a ton of footage of just sort of following them around for years, uh, just as their friend, you know, on their bus and wherever they were playing at the time. So I really, I was sort of pretty early on covering them when they were just playing bars and small clubs. And I really just saw them explode into a big international success. Yeah. Um, and so the documentary that I made for them kind of captures that first chapter of their career. Um, and so it's really interesting because I, and then I met 
the guy Rye, Rye Cumming, who, who now goes by Rye X, um, through Jesse Carmichael in Maroon 5. Uh, I had just stopped over at his house one day. Uh, we had a we had a kind of common interest and uh, sort of obsession with the Beatles, Jesse and I, and we would always trade stuff that we found. And one day I came across a DVD of some old rare Beatles footage and decided I would drop it off at his house. And uh, I stopped wow. over there. And that random decision to just drop that off uh, led to me meeting Rye, who was over at his house, just jamming, hanging out. And um, Ryan, uh, Ryan, I started playing, I started, Jesse was playing there too. And actually the first thing I was doing at the time was playing guitar. I was playing guitar with Rye. Um, and we were playing with uh, Sam Farrar, who's the bass player, former bass player for Phantom Planet. And, and now who's in Maroon 5 doing keep playing keyboards with them. Um, and our first drummer was, um, um, uh, Will Nash, who, uh, is the son of Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills and Nash. Um, and we used to, we used to rehearse in Maroon 5's band house in the basement of their house. Um, so, you know, the, the guys would just come by every now and then and jam and do whatever with us. We were kind of just their friends, just playing in this little side band. And, uh, we started just playing some gigs and, you know, we went through lots of different types of players that kind of came and went and but rye and i really stuck through it the whole time um and at one point it was just the two of us uh doing some touring and stuff i remember and, um, yeah eventually yeah we did a new england college tour yeah. uh, and you know eventually we got another kind of more consistent band together and I kind of had in the back of my mind, the idea that if, if we stuck at it, we might have a chance just knowing, knowing those guys to maybe get like a support slot for, for one or two shows. Um, I didn't think it would be like a whole section of a tour, but um, eventually they said, you know, do you want to do like a first support slot uh, for some of these California shows? And, uh, and so it was us and one Republic and then and maroon five and so we were like the first support band and we did uh we did a a run through california and then a few shows in the midwest and then which was awesome we we did some of the northeast shows that one of the ones that you came to new hampshire uh yeah. like winnipesaukee i'll never forget yeah yeah so it was it was a lot of fun it was it was a lot of fun to have that experience and I will, I will note as well that um, uh, Zach invited my wife and I backstage that night and uh, we were able to watch the show. Well, we watched Zach's band from the front of the stage. We were in like the third row and then we got to go backstage. And, you know, the highlight of the night, as cool as it was meeting the band, the highlight of the night was really just kind of hanging with Zach. And it was a very unique venue in New Hampshire, the Alltel Meadowbrook Pavilion, which I think has changed names now, but getting back to getting back to hot rats. So the reason I picked this album was really because Zappa to me, before I heard hot rats, the only thing that I could think of when someone mentioned his name was noises, different noises. Um, I didn't get it. 
Um, I didn't get it at all. Um, there are still songs in his catalog <laughs> that make me scratch my head. Uh, and um, as we kind of get into this review a little bit more, I think what inspired me to pick the Hot Rats album was, um, Zach, what you kind of alluded to is his, his lifelong mission to consistently reinvent himself and his music. So the first song on this record, it's, it's a six song record. The first song on this record, um, Zach, I don't know about you, but Peaches and Regalia was something that I thought for probably a good year and a half was written by Fish because that was the, the first time that I'd heard it was on Fish's either 93 or 94 run through the Northeast. And um, uh, I didn't find out until later that it was written by Frank. But Zach, talk to me about sort of your take on on Peaches and how it's different from a lot of songs out there. Yeah, well, I think right off the bat, it, 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 it gives you, it sets the stage for that album. Um, I mean, I think it's notable. There's only what, six, six songs on that whole album. Six, yeah. Six songs. Um, and I think what you, what you get immediately is, is this orchestral set, the, the orchestral influence and, and uh, presentation of his music, you know? So, you know, I think it, 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 it talks about it a lot in the documentary, the recent documentary um, that, you know, Frank was really primarily a composer. Um, and so I think what you get right off the bat is you get these melodies, you get these symphonic structures um, and, and time changes and uh, just a, such a, a beautiful orchestrated sound um, and so much happening. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden his, you know, SG or, or Les Paul or Strat, I'm not sure which one he was playing at that time. I think it was an SG just cuts through everything. And, and all of a sudden it's just, you know, he sets this beautiful blanket of orchestral music. And then just on top of that, his guitar just, just shines and just cuts through everything. And um, so it really sets the stage uh, and it's such a beautiful instrumental song. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it was a big crossover for jam band for fish and, and, and other jam bands because so many bands were influenced by fish. So by fish, just playing that song, it opened it up to so many uh, other bands. And um, I think probably a lot of people discovered Zappa through that song. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the documentary earlier, the new one Zach's talking about is the, it's just called simply Zappa. And it was um, directed by Alex winter, who for some of you who might not know was um bill in uh, bill and ted's excellent adventure so not not the keanu reeves guy the other guy mm -hmm. um and you know when when you listen to peaches what what blew me away was the mix of clarinet flute keyboard multi saxophones not just one and guitar and as weird as it sounds zappa really i think pieced the instruments together perfectly. And uh, I think this was really, in my opinion, one of the beginning or one of the first albums to really be categorized as jazz fusion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think as far as um, I think there probably were other albums that came before this, that you could, you could 
um, you know, you could categorize in a similar way um, that were that Zappa was very influenced by. Um, but he he definitely that this was a big one, I think, for the time it came out, and you know the um, the 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 musicians involved and. Um, you could see another thing I think about in this album is you can see all the different influences of Zappa. You can see all of his different sides kind of gelling together. You can see kind of the, that sort of, um, you know, amazing guitar player that's just discovering his sound. And then you can also see that kind of composer that does more classical kind of, arrangements and then you can see that kind of zany kind of weird lyricist um, and there's even political stuff thrown in there which I think he gets more political as he as his career develops but but you could see all of that stuff kind of like him figuring it all out and putting it out there and um, it's just such a important album for his career um, and uh, you know really sets the stage for lots, lots of other stuff to come for sure. Yeah. In the, in the, in the sixties, uh, jazz was really changing. It had kind of morphed from a softer, smooth, sort of that relaxed by the fireplace kind of feeling to more of a, like a, a modern aggressive, you know, minor chords, odd collection of sounds. If you, if you listen to some Miles Davis records from the late sixties and seventies, they're significantly different from, you know, those records from the forties, fifties, and maybe early sixties. So um, one of the, I, one of the things that continues with this album is just how much Zappa kind of shakes things up. And on the second track, Willie the Pimp, this song strikes me as kind of a slight departure from Zappa's odd sounding percussion songs. And I, I keep using the word odd because it was odd to me. It, it, it really was. But I think that's what made me want to dig further. It was similar as Pink Floyd when I would be like, why would a band put out a record where they're just hitting like seashells? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And then all of a sudden that banging on seashells turned into this like gorgeous piece of music that really made me become addicted. So I'm talking about Willie the Pimp, the second track and the opening riff, the opening guitar riff combined with the violin from this guy, Don Sugarcane Harris, just, I think, in my opinion, makes the record. I think it's one of the shorter tracks on the record, but it's, if, you, if you're having trouble sort of adapting to Zappa music, but you like rock and blues, um, I think just, just put on Willie the Pimp, just start there. That's my, I, every, every review I do, I try to look for a song on the album. If it exists where I'd say, all right, this is the first track that I would play to somebody that, you know, I'm not sure whether or not they'd get into it. And I think this would be kind of the introductory track. Um, what are your thoughts, Zach, on, on Willie? Yeah. Oh man, I, I just love, I love the riff, you know, it just grabs you right it's away. It's just such a, it, it, you know, it's so you could imagine it just being like a, a you know, you can play with anything. And it's just so catchy. Um, totally. And uh, so, you know, it, it's just, uh, and, and then, you know, you got 
Captain Beefheart on the vocals. And I think that, you know, that's something I also learned a lot in this recent documentary was his relationship with him, how close he was with him. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, vocally, I think Zappa was very lenient with, you know, who he gave the vocals to. And he was, he was not very precious about his vocals at all. I think he, you know, he was very, um, kind of just, uh, um, it, it was more about the words than, than how he sang them. Um, you know, he's not known as a vocalist, right. but, um, but he, you know, he writes really interesting lyrics and he would often give them to people like Captain Beefheart to sing. And um, yeah, it's just a jammy, awesome, deep, like, you know, jammy song. And I, I just, yeah, I love it. Um, I'd love to know more of the story behind like Willie the Pimp. I don't really know too much of like what's behind it but you know it's musically you know it's it's pretty awesome i think it's sort of like a perfect follow-up song to peaches yeah captain beefheart was zappa's old old friend going back to to childhood um i believe it was when they were living in um california together because zappa originally was born in baltimore and then he moved around a lot um, and coincidentally enough, before he moved to La- it was Lancaster, California, before he moved there in 1956, um, he was really interested in chemistry. And the reason why I think that this is relevant is he spent a significant amount of time as a kid creating objects that could eventually detonate or explode on their own. So Frank was always sort of known in his circles if he had any, as sort of an odd guy. But I think this played a huge part into his, um, you know, into his taste of music. Um, And Captain Beefheart was somebody that he grew up with. His real name is Don Van Vliet. Uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. But um, Captain Beefheart, he provides this raspy vocal part. um, And it's the only vocals, I believe, on the entire album, Zach. Um, mm. and, uh, and it's just, he, on top of that, that bluesy, I think it's kind of a bluesy main riff. I think it really drives the the song. And, and, you know, one of the reasons, uh, Zappa kept, um, Captain Beefheart, um, Sugarcane Harris and, um, Ian Underwood, his, um, uh, his, um, piano kind of piano player, but he also played organ and flute and different kinds of clarinets and saxophones, tons of different instruments. Um, these were two guys that despite doing a lot of lineup changes, um, he he kept for most of the part, I guess, kept, Captain Beefheart maybe came and went a little bit, but what's unique I think about this album is that Zappa really encouraged all the guys in the band to just jam during the recording sessions. And Zach, you, were, you brought up a great point earlier. Unlike a lot of the other albums that he recorded where it was very structured and, you know, he was making his band practice until five in the morning and then they had to get back by, you know, they had to be back in the studio, you know, at eight or nine the next morning. So these guys were barely getting any sleep. Um, You know, Frank was sort of boss-like and a little controlling. Um, For Hot Rats, he just told the musicians to to jam. Um, Think of it as jazz and just don't hold back. And I really think that this type of, re- this type of relaxed approach reflected in the music. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
it does have that loose kind of feel in, in, the in, you know, amidst the songs. And I think that's a very, uh, you know, notable different, uh, you know, similarity with Zappa's songs and jazz, you know, that jazz structure of having like a head, having a melody, right. giving the instrument, giving the musicians, you know, the freedom to, to show their personalities and come up with different ideas and then come back to that, to that melody, to that head, you know, toward the end of the song. So I think you see that with the Willie, the pimp, when they come back to the din and at the very end. Yeah. And so it's a big crossover. And I think a big reason why he, you know, appeals to a lot of jazz musicians and people that know that, that style. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think that was, that's really the, the essence of fusion is that it's fusing, you know, this jazz approach to more of a rock kind of, uh, slightly more commercial approach. It's a and great so point. You, it opens up the, the market to people, you know, like a Genesis and like a yes, you know, that has, you know, fans that are like super jazz aficionados and fans that don't listen to a whole lot of jazz. And I, I think Zappa is pretty similar in that way. Um, uh, last thing I'll note on this song, um, the, you know, the violin is just, you can't help but notice that. And it, yeah. it mimics the, the guitar riff as well. The guy, the, the violin player, Don Harris, who Zappa nicknamed Sugar King. Um, I learned after doing some research that when Zappa went to invite him to come and record in Los Angeles on Hot Rats, they couldn't find him for several weeks. And then Frank finally figured out that he was in jail on a drug charge. So um, Zappa bailed him out of jail, flew him to Los Angeles. And the next day, Harris joined the band. And um, one of the artists who was, uh, who was in the studio that week um, he, he said one of the most memorable moments I had of Don Sugarcane Harris was we were recording and I looked over at, at Sugarcane during this violin solo to figure out how he was creating the sound. And he said, I looked over and Sugarcane had broken all the strings. Now he, he used the word hair. So, um, I have to admit, I'm not a violin player. So my, my, my guess was that he said he broke the hair off his, his bow that, that meant the, the strings. Um, and if I'm butchering that, but he said he broke all the hair off his violin bow and he was just playing the wood part of the bow. And this was something that I had never seen or heard before. And my jaw dropped when I, when I heard that, cause I was like, this guy is, certainly a, a pioneer and you yeah. just, you don't hear, you know, there's, there are other examples, I guess, but um, I, it, it, it's rare that I hear a record like this where the violin player is out there in front as much. And he almost kind of sounds like a guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's like horse, horse reins or something that they use on those bows or something like that. But uh, that um, makes sense. yeah, it's, I mean, I think, you know, when you, you turn a violin into like a rock, rock kind of instrument and you're out there just playing the heck out of it. Um, yeah, I could totally see how that could happen. Just like a guitar. Um, even though, you know, Jimmy Page, he used the bow on his guitar, but that's a little different, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, 
he, he definitely, once the, the violin comes in too, all of a sudden, you know, that that's at least to me, that's completely, uh, unusual and, and unique and, and, and mind blowing that you have, you have a, a violin in that context, just jamming with the guitar. Um, and then the other guy that comes in later, Jean-Luc Ponty yeah. is a guy who I think among these kind of fusion violin guys, he probably created his own more independent career. He's got lots of albums of his own and became a very popular, like fusion violin guy. Um, and, um, I got, I remember getting into some of his, some of his, uh, albums too. And he, he collaborated with a lot of different people, but, um, yeah, I mean, just, it also shows, it shows Zappa's just wide range of, um, instrumentation and, you know, just, bringing it all together. And I think, you know, it has a loose feel to it, but, you know, I'm sure that the musicians would say that, you know, it was still Zappa behind the curtain, you know, making sure everything was going to fit perfectly the way he wanted it to fit. And I think that was also mentioned that I remembered well from the documentary was how well he was able to kind of find his musicians that did exactly what he wanted them to do. And, and exploit their talents, but also, you know, give them just enough freedom, but also, you know, know exactly how they fit into his picture of what, what he wants the song to be. Yeah. You mentioned John Luke Ponty, which I want to get to in a little bit, because you brought up a great point, Zach, and another incredible uh, violinist who plays on this record. The, the jam session on Hot Rats continues on the album's next track, Son of Mr. Green Jeans. So this just makes me laugh when I, when I, when I say it out loud or even when I read it. As you can tell, in my opinion, Zappa was the king, the absolute king of extremely odd song titles. And when I would read your Zappa albums or your brother's Zappa albums, Zach, uh, as a kid, and I would turn it over and look at the song titles, I was like, what is going on here? I think Mr. Green Jeans, isn't he a character from uh, Captain Kangaroo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah which was which was really popular at the time like it and, was and, you know um yeah um, it's a children's show it's, for those yeah. of you who were born after probably 1985 and i think he you know he took a lot you know zappa had this sort of sat satire approach to a lot of his his lyrics and songs that i think he he it grew and grew and became very political too, um, right. you know, explicitly political <laughs> um, as he got later in his career. Right. Um, but you know, there's a lot of that stuff just like mixed in his his very cynical view of the world and politics and commercialism and all that stuff. It just you know you're starting to see it in this album for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is another, as I said a minute ago, another kind of jammy song Dur- during some of his earlier albums. Um, Zappa was seen as more of a, a strange composer who wrote exactly what he was thinking at the time. He has a guy on this album, Ian Underwood, who I think deserves tremendous credit for his contribution on this album. Um, like I said, he was a, a staple throughout most of uh, our many of Zappa's lineup changes. And on this album, he plays the piano, the organ, the flute, several different saxophones, several different clarinets. And um, Zappa made a comment that I, you know, plucked out, which was, um, 
you know, this, this song is really a movie for your ears. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And the, the jam just, it just doesn't seem to end. So Son of Mr. Green Jeans is another one, despite if you uh, look at the, the album, or for most of you are looking at on, you know, Spotify or Apple Music or Google Music. Is it called Google Music? Um, I think so. Google, yeah. Google Music. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds I'm right. I'm fully aware that most people these days listen to music on their phones. But I, you know, if you've heard from past reviews, I always encourage people every once in a blue moon, if you have time, just sit back and listen to listen to a record or listen to your stereo uh, even if it's hooking your phone up to your stereo um i've talked about some jazz albums and um i've talked about some heavy metal albums i've talked about some hip-hop albums again just hot rats i think has a maybe a little void of hip-hop um but just has a lot of a, a mixture of these kinds of of genres and um the next track I think is a little bit of a departure from the first three songs, a song called Little Umbrellas, which is the fourth track. Um, and it begins with a stand-up bass, this guy, Max Bennett, who plays the stand-up bass. And it really starts off with like a, a lower, slower tempo. Uh, when I say lower, I mean more slower, um, less of a ripping guitar, but it's not void of what sounds like 30 instruments piled on top of one another. And the bass and Zach and I, from an early age, um, started playing bass. And although we both play guitar, we both play multiple instruments. I don't know about you, man, but the, the, the bass is sort of my, my first love, even yeah. though I really enjoy playing. Um, yeah. but, but you and I would always share music. Um, we're going to have to do another episode just specifically on Getty Lee, who is personally oh. my base hero. <laughs> How many hours um, do we have? For that yeah, one? right. But, um, you know, whenever I hear bass just come out or start a song, I get, I get, I get very excited. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the, the bass and the drums really on this song hold down a, a steady rhythm. And Ian Underwood's piano on this song, Little Umbrellas is all over the map, giving you a taste of what the, the keys sound like on a typical Zappa album. This, this song is only three minutes and four seconds. So it's not as long and jammy as, as the, the first couple, um, but it's a, it's a nice jazzy kind of change of pace from the other five, I think. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I, I would agree. It's, it's shorter and you can feel it's a much more carefully arranged song. Um, it's, it just goes really nicely, um, in there before you get to that, you know, longest song right after this, it's kind of a nice yeah. like respite from some of the longer, more jammy, looser stuff. Um, and again, it, it shows like that other side of, you know, the, the, the composer, the Zappa as, as the composer, um, and, uh, and really showcases, um, Underwood's piano and keys and 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 his style and um yeah it just has this really kind of delicate feel to it so yeah. I, I really like it yeah yeah um it, the 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 group kind of returns to their jamming madness on the next song which zach was alluding to uh the gumbo variations which is the album's fifth song and i think 
this track really enables all the musicians to have their separate kind of time in the sun. Uh, Ian Underwood's saxophone leads the charge, um, kind of sits on top of a, a catchy background of guitars. And then the drummer who I, who I have yet to mention, Paul Humphrey, um, I think he lays down a really, really solid uh, foundation with, with Max Bennett's bass once again. And, and then those instruments sort of in the background really open the door for the saxophone. And when I was thinking about this album and I was writing my review, I, I thought of it as I, pic I pictured a, a saxophone just breaking out of prison and running amok. Uh, it, it almost feels like each musician was just let out of a cage uh, on this song and they gave their best performance of their life on this record. And whenever I hear it, last night included, my eyes are closed every time and I'm just listening and grooving. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just an awesome song to jam out to. Um, and, um, you know, it definitely, you know, like you said, it's very sax heavy. Um, and, and, you know, you were talking before about, you know, some of the crossovers with jazz and early jazz and stuff. And, you know, um, there was so much kind of, of, of similar stuff, you know, of this kind of exploratory style coming out, um, that this touches upon, like, you know, even going back to like Charlie Parker, um, and some of his, um, recordings and then later, you know, Coltrane, but that kind of very loose, you know, um, approach of just discovering something, you know, I keep coming back to this theme of discovery. And I think that's what makes, um, listening to Zappa, you know, some, such a, um, cool experience because you never quite know what's coming next. And I think that's the thing that, you know, brings people out to concerts, you know, created, creates the whole jam band, um, phenomenon. It's the idea that you don't know what you're going to get that night. Um, right. and so it's that uncertainty that, and, and then the musicians, you know, they, they, they figure out the songs, but they don't know exactly what's going to happen during the songs, you know? And right. so then you have this commonality of, you know, this discovery process, but with the musicians on stage and the people in the, in the audience. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, that's, I think that's what really, to me, that would be the main thing I would, I would say that connects this with, you know, other bands that were influenced by it. Um, and, and this song definitely, you know, captures that, you know, uh, the most in this album. I would agree. You know, the, as we were talking about earlier, the, the album only has six songs on it. The last song, It Must Be a Camel, again, great name, um, rounds out this album. And again, 1969. So I'm just, I have this vision of 1969, this picture of 1969. It's, um, you know, our parents are either in college or right out of college. The Vietnam War is raging. There's a lot of um, counterculture. There's a lot of music that is political. Um, and uh, at the same time, a lot of that music is, is, is catchy. And then you have hot rats. Um, and I just, it makes me smile every time I think about it because I, I picture being in a, in a record store and I'm like, you know, I'm into kind of the regular radio stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, let me, let me pick this album up. First of all, the cover, I don't know about you guys, but it gives me 
Zach, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw it, I, I was, I think I had nightmares for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's very, uh, it is very kind of sinister, you know, and it's like Zappa's coming out of the ground. It's, it looks like a grave, basically like a tomb, right? Um, it's a, it looks like either that, or it, I, I looked at it as like a, like a, like a empty fountain in the middle of a park. Okay. Um, at first I thought it might be an empty pool, but I, I, um, I own the, the record, I own the vinyl and, um, I was taking a closer look at it one night and it, it, it appears, I think it is, it's a, it's a woman, I'm going to find her name in a minute, but it's a, it's a woman who, um, who just is slowly crawling out of this, uh, this empty fountain. And she's clearly got this look on her face. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to get you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Which I just, I think that it's, it's just, it's just so unique, I think for, for 1969. And, and again, the, you know, when I think of 69, I think of, I mean, that was the year that Zeppelin kind of hit, but they were still young, but I just, I think of Crosby, Stills and Nash, I think of Credence, um, you know, the Beatles and the Beatles were always doing experimental things. Uh, the White Album in particular, which came out in 68, was, in my opinion, Zach, I don't know about you, but probably their most experimental album. Um, yeah. You know, the first time you heard uh, Revolution 9, you were like, what is this? Um, but it must be a camel. It, it's similar to Little Umbrellas in a sense that this song has a kind of a slower, softer groove. Uh, it's important to mention that the drummer is uh, different. It's a guy named John Guerin, um, who also plays drums on um, Willie the Pimp, Little Umbrellas, and then obviously this song. Um, in my opinion, Zach, I, I think Guerin's drumming is at another level. And I say that because I like to air drum. <laughs> and there are there are a few drummers and I'm not saying I'm, I'm all that I'm, I'm kind of new to drums in the sense I've been playing for about a year, but Neil Peart, I could, I could never air drum to him. I, I would pretend. And then this guy, um, I think it, it's virtually impossible to, to air drum to. So this would not be the first song that I would play for someone who was hesitant about getting into Zappa. But if you find yourself one evening sitting with a musician must be a camel or any one of Zappa's tracks, I think will entice them. It's, it's just, it's not like anything that I've ever heard before. Yeah. And just, I mean, the idea also of just having two different drummers on an album, right. right. I mean, just in it, in and of itself. Right. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, they each have their own kind of influences and, and styles. Um, I think Garen, you know, played with, you know, he was kind of a session drummer. And I mean, Zappa uses a lot of session musicians who've, who've played with lots of different people. So they're all really versatile, but they have their own kind of styles too. And I think Garen played with, with a lot of um, big bands in the late sixties and seventies, you know um, I think the birds, I think like, you know, um, uh, George Harrison, you know, lots of, you know, maybe more commercial kind of style bands and um so you know again it, it's like zappa is you could see how he's utilizing these different players 
um, and, and using their styles in his own kind of creations. And I think something that, that stuck out to me too, in that song is, um, uh, the time signature of it. And exactly. just, it's very intricate and you could see, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to have one album where you could, you could see like a really fusiony jazz, like trio and like a little jazz club, like picking up on this song and playing like their own rendition of it. And then you have another song that like a band like fish is, is playing. And then you have a song like Willie, the pimp that maybe some rock band is going to grab and play, play that song. So you have right. such different sounds and a, appeals, you know, to songs within the same album. So that's just amazing to me. Um, so yeah, this, this one I felt like was the most intricate and, you know, the, the, just the playing of it seemed really challenging and, uh, you know, that just brought me to it. And, um, you know, I, I got a lot of jazz friends, like piano players and people that are into all these like complex time signatures that would, that I think would love to have a go and play that song. And this is also where Jean-Luc Ponty plays um, in, in place of Sugarcane Harris. He plays the violin on this track. And what I love about this, it's, it's kind of like my experience that I had with Kind of Blue, where um, I'd been listening to Kind of Blue for years without actually turning the darn thing over and looking at who the musicians were. And I remember thinking like, well, Bill Evans is definitely my favorite piano player and John Coltrane is definitely my favorite sax player. And Miles is, you know, God, Miles. I mean, he's my, definitely my favorite, you know, horn trumpet player. Man, if, if, if they could just, if they could just be on the same album, that, that, how cool would that be? Yeah. And, uh, and with Jean-Luc Ponty, I, I, I didn't become aware of him until no lie about about a month and a half ago and i was listening to a podcast and um randy jackson was on the podcast and i i admit i i just know randy from um american idol and every time i say his name i also think of that hilarious scene in Step Brothers with will ferrell where he's got the samurai sword and he's like well this is all i had when i saw him and you're not going to not get randy jackson's autograph uh, <laughs> only only and, you would have that quote like ready to go like, i love for, that i just it was the funniest thing i i just it's because it's so perfectly pieced yeah. together zach for i have um, to i have to interject and say for those of you guys if this hasn't come up in in greg's audience and podcast world you have to understand that greg has an amazing like encyclopedic brain for like random quotes from movies from like the eighties and nineties. And they're just like verbatim and ready to go at any moment. And this is it, definitely one of those. <laughs> it's language. It's, it's language. I'll communicate when someone asks me a question, are you okay with that? Instead of being like, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'll just say, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, every time um, Holly and I, when we communicate the words, I, I got it, it's under control or it's all set or I took care of it. Um, we revert back to um, Rose. We'll just go Rose, which is a quote from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead with Christina Applegate, where she, her boss makes her get on a conference call. And she's like, okay, now when I say to you, 
do you have that under control, Sue Ellen? You say, I'm right on top of that, Rose. So that's how we communicate. Wow. And thankfully, my wife is, she's not as nutty as I am about that. But that is one quote that we have both picked up together. But now whenever I'll, I'll come up the stairs and go, hey, um, I got this text about the boys uh, bus. And she'll just look at me and go, Rose. And then that's it. The conversation's over. And that's her saying, it's all set. I took care of it. The boys are signed up or whatever the task is that I was asking her to take care of. So <laughs> your, it's your code, your code, it's turned into like a code language, like code. Uh, it yeah. has. Yeah. But a lot of yeah. times I'll use it and she's like, what? And most people will be like, what? But I think kind of like Zappa, um, sometimes I, I get a kick out of that. You know, Zappa made a, th that, uh, that documentary by Alex Winter that you were talking about, Zach, um, Zappa made a comment that I just want to go out and, and create music. And if you like it, great. But if you don't, I'm doing this for me. And I was like, wow, the, the guts that this guy has. And, yeah. and it still fascinates me that before Hot Rats, he was able to form such a, a following um, and I know he moved back and forth between LA and New York. He was in L uh, New York for a while and then he went back to LA and, um, but it's just, I, I thought to myself, like, this guy is such a, a pioneer and I don't know if I would have the guts. Plus he was like, he was the kind of guy that was like, I really want to make sure that I don't write a hit song. I want to really be careful and most musicians, if not 99.999% of them, if they if they had that kind of thought process, then they'd be they'd be you know they their careers wouldn't go anywhere. So the fact that Zappa had that thought process and he was so successful, and we're talking about him to this day, and he died in 1993. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just incredible, and I think that's another reason for you folks that have never either never listened to his records, or you know maybe you were thinking about getting into him, or you're like, no, no, he he's He's too much of a freak. I can't get into, you know, don't eat yellow snow. I, I can't get into, into songs that are named that. Um, you know, if you just, if you appreciate good musicianship, um, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to at least take a glance. And nowadays it's pretty easy. Go on your phone, go on Apple music or go on, uh, go on Spotify or go on any of your, any, any location where you can find, you know, find music. And if you so care, you can also pick up a copy of their, uh, uh, of, of any of their records. Um, but getting back to history, uh, as I was talking about before, and its ability to dictate the future, Hot Rats, I think, really plays an important part in history and the evolution of music. And that's why I'm, I'm doing this review. Zappa's music influenced millions of other musicians, as Zach said earlier, um, to really take that next step into the abyss of what is described by some as freak music. Um, but what many times turns people on to good music is when they hear a song being played by their favorite band, not knowing it's actually a cover song, um, not knowing it's actually played by a musician, a band or a composer they thought that they, they didn't like, or maybe they hated. It's happened to me uh, a hundred times, and I'm sure it's happened to a lot of the listeners out there. Um, Zach, have you had any experiences like that where you heard a song and you were like, wow, this song's awesome. And then you go back and you're like, whoa, so-and-so wrote that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I know I'm lot, catching you on the spot. But yeah. If you can think no, of them. no, a lot of, um, yeah, I'll, let me, let me think about that. Um, um, 
Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there, well, actually, yeah. I mean, one, one of them that comes to mind is, um, uh, take it easy by the Eagles, um, which was, uh, written by Jackson Brown actually. Um, yep. and, um, and also, um, hallelujah, um, which was written by Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um, great examples. And you go, you go to those two and, and when you go to, I mean, Jackson Brown never, never, uh, recorded take it easy, but, but when you look at, let's say, uh, you know, hallelujah as an example, uh, and you, and you, and you listen to both of those versions, they're very different experiences. When I, when I say both, I mean, uh, Leonard Cohen and also, uh, Jeff Buckley. Right. And actually, uh, we used to play hallelujah in the band, um, with Rye. Um, that was one of his, uh, kind of staple songs that he used to play. And so we would throw that into some live concerts. We'd end a lot of our shows with hallelujah. And he played it very much like Jeff Buckley. Um, Amazing. And, um, and then you go back and you listen to Leonard Cohen's version and it, it just, it feels uh, very different and has a different kind of connotation to it, the way he sings it. Um, you know, it's just coming from a different place. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's probably still a lot of songs out there that people don't uh, still don't know who wrote it. A lot of times writers are, you know, don't get enough credit generally in the music business, right. um, especially nowadays um, where a lot of um, a lot of bands, you know, have even multiple writers behind the same songs. Maroon 5 is a great example, actually, you know, when they when they started out, you know, it was Jesse and Adam, you know, just like a Lennon McCartney that um, wrote, you know, their, their own songs. Uh, and now um, a lot of writers are behind their big hits. Um, and um, actually that's another great thing going back to the Beatles about how much, you know, they, it was really Lennon McCartney for so long, you know, and they never right. kind of opened it up to other, I mean, George Harrison, of course. Um, but you know, he kind of blossomed more with, with his own career, but, um, you know, and then Ringo had a couple thrown in there, but, um, but, um, yeah, the, the writing of, you know, is often the, you know, like an editor, like myself, I do a lot of video editing and it's a similar kind of thing. It's sort of like the, the wizard behind the curtain, you know, the person who doesn't always get the credit, um, as much as the performer who's out there on stage performing it, which is, which is great. And they should get a lot of credit. Um, but you know, the, the writers should, should also get credit. So it's, it's good, good practice. I always find to like, go and actually see who's credited as a writer on, on songs that you really like. Great point, man. Great point. Cause then you can go and sort of discover other things. I mean, I'm just, I'm constantly on this journey to discover more music and it's not just stuff from the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. It's it's new music. It's old music. I just, I love the feeling of getting turned on to something new. And by new, I, I mean, just new to me, you know? Yeah. Um, it's so rare nowadays um, because of such the commercialism of music. Yeah. So rare to keep, you know, keep the writing, the publishing, the performing, all of it yourself. Um, yeah. I wanted to just mention going back to what you were saying about Zappa and how he kind of, um, you know, rejected the, the music business and stuff. And he really, 
he was so cynical about all of that. And you're right. He didn't want to kind of like, he wasn't writing to have a success. And it's so interesting that his big success hit Valley girl, you know, um, came from, came from like his um, relationship with his daughter. Um, We're kind of talking a lot about this documentary, but, um, but that was very fascinating to me um, that, you know, without, you know, having a daughter kind of come to your attention and, you know, both of us have kids, we understand what it's like to play our own music and how much we want to do it for ourselves and how much we want to involve our kids. But, you know, him living that life and being out on the road and being away from the kids so much, it was a really beautiful story. The way that his one big commercial success came from his daughter trying to get his attention and do some and collaborate and do something with him. Yeah. Um, and that, that's just amazing. Um, and one little anecdote is I actually, I had a, one of my little videography types of, um, gigs, you know, over the, over the years was doing, uh, some videos for, uh, Pictronics, uh, pedals and two of the, uh, guitarists that are sponsored by them and use their pedals are, um, Mike Keneally, who actually played with Zappa and is, and is featured a lot in the documentary and had a very close relationship with him, uh, and Dweezil, Dweezil Zappa. And, um, Frank's actually, son, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I went to, to Dweezil's house one day and did a video for this, for Pictronics and got to spend a day in his studio. And that was just amazing. And I, I thought a lot about that while I was watching the documentary because, um, Dweezil, I think when you look at him, you know, he has such, he's had a very interesting past, you know, he's kind of gone through lots of phases, you know, um, and what struck me a lot, you know, when I met him and spent that day with him was, was how serious he was in the studio and how he was just all about the music and all about what he was doing. And it had to, you know, be, be perfect had to, to fit his standard of what he wanted and i saw that kind of side of you know the way people talked about zappa in the same way um and i think you see a very similar theme with with you know artists out there that kind of are very much about meeting that standard that they have in their head and and it has to meet that that whatever they imagine whatever they want it to be and that's really all they care about, you know, more than whether it's going to sell or, or, or whatever. And, uh, right. So I definitely saw that. And I think that really paved the way for other artists, you know, like, you know, that would challenge the music business and the record industry, um, you know, going forward. Yeah. Again, another reason why I wanted Zach to join me today, because he's, you know, he's, uh, not only lives in, um, Altadena, California, and, and has been living and working out there for many years now. I think more more than way over a yeah, decade. Fifteen years. Yeah, but um, you know, he's also had these experiences um, communicating with these these musicians, and Zach has shared so many amazing stories with me. Um, and uh, they're just there's so many we we have to pile through through all of them and and talk about them more, uh, in some of these other, these other podcasts. So, um, where would you, again, what I was saying earlier, you know, more about Zappa than I do, where would you rank hot rats in, um, 
Zappa's uh okay so we're gonna do a contest here okay <laughs> best album ever okay all right <laughs> is that another is that another reference is that a, is that uh simpsons the, the simpsons guy, guy in the, com- yeah. in the, comic the record store guy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um where would you rank hot rats in terms of zappa's albums oh boy i would i would definitely for for me it's it's top top three uh i would say um mm. um you know it goes back to this wide range of, of um, styles and influences and phases that Zappa has, you know, and you compare an album like hot rats to an album, like um, shake your booty or, you know, um, he has um, so many different sounds and how his career kind of evolved. Uh, So I think it's always very personal. It's very, you know, that's, what's really interesting about Zappa you know, similar to other like kind of progressive fusion bands like Genesis, you know, Rush, Yes, like everybody has their little favorite album that appeals to their own tastes, yeah, you know? That's a good point. And um, so for me, Hot Rats would definitely be top three. Yeah. Would you put it up in the pantheon of of rock albums, period? Uh, I don't think, I don't. I don't really see it as purely a rock album. I wouldn't really put it on the same. Yeah. Kind of spectrum as like a stones or who or Zeppelin or these kind of big, I would say, I I would say it's just, it's a very influential um, fusion album that really brought this world of jazz to kind of a a bigger market. Um, And also just, very much introduced Zappa to, to this larger, um, you know, this larger market. I think, you know, one thing that hasn't really come up here is, is, is how this album relates to his um, career with the mothers and, and, and his background as, as a band leader versus being, you know, versus just having Frank Zappa on the album, you know, and for years he was, he was the leader of the mothers, the mothers of invention. And, um, and I think this album was very critical in him paving his own career, his own path away from that going in his own direction. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, I love that. You're right. It's, it's hard to compare. Um, and for all the albums that I put out there on, on my site and that I talk about on this podcast, it's really just an opportunity to, you know, get it out there and, and encourage other people to, to listen to it. And maybe you pick it up and you, and you don't like it. And that's cool. Um, you know, th- that's going to happen a lot. Um, but maybe you do, and maybe it's a, an adventure and maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe you find yourself one day driving in your car and you're just going humming Willie the pimp. And you're like, Oh man, I can't get that out of my head. Um, so uh, well said, Zach. I, I, for those of you guys that are curious as to why music has transformed and morphed time after time over history, just listen to Hot Rats. Uh, when you compare it to what was being released back in 1968 and 1969, like I was saying earlier, perhaps maybe only the Beatles' White Album was as strange or as odd as, as Hot Rats. But even the Beatles set out 
from time to time to write hits, whether they like to admit it or not. I just find it fascinating that a musician like Frank Zappa, who set out only to really please himself with his music, achieved such you know success and notoriety. So I think history is important and it tells a story of how we got here and, and how it was done. And in many cases, it does indeed, you know, pave a path for the future. So um, I just, Zach, I wanna thank you for taking the time to, to, to talk to me about this, uh, talk with me about this. And um, uh, I encourage all of you guys to um, check this album out. And if you, uh, if you like it, there's a lot of other stuff out there. Zappa has, um, you know, he started his career in I think 65 is when he formed the Mothers of Invention. And he went all the way up until I think 92. And then unfortunately he died in, in 93. And Zach had uh, an opportunity to um, uh, create a phenomenal um, collage that uh, he shared with Dweezil and um, we're still waiting for Dweezil to right. get back to us. I think he's going to get back <laughs> <Yes>. to us. <laughs> yes, he never got back to me after I after I uh, um, meticulously photographed this collage that I made at, at the height of my. Well, what was interesting was like, I think I was in was a junior in high school. Sounds and about I, right. I think it was a junior. We were juniors, and and I had to write an essay at the time in my English class. And it was right when I was really into Zappa. So it was, you had to choose someone to kind of do a biographical essay on. And I, and I, I chose Zappa and then you had to present that. And so part of what I used to do this presentation where you kind of stand in front of the class, you talk about it is I made this collage where I grabbed everything and any picture of Zappa that I could um, and I just went into magazines. I went into the library. I made tons of photographs and, um, you know, I, I dug up old magazines and things. So it was, it was photocopies, but it was also cutouts from Rolling Stone and magazines. And I would get these back issues and uh, put this whole thing together. And which I still have still in basement of uh, my parents house um, back, back home. And wow. I, um, and, and then I, it, so it accompanied this essay that I wrote. And I think the title of the essay was Frank Zappa iconoclast, iconoclast. And that mm. word I'm going to have to look up because I forget <laughs> what it means. <laughs> um, but that was the word I found um, to describe him. And, and here's a definition of it. A person who attacks cherished beliefs or institutions a destroyer of images used in religious worship. Whoa. Maybe I'll go with the first one. <laughs> um, the first one I think is very um, accurate, you know, because I think when you look at Zappa's whole career, that very much is what he did. He, he looked at these things that people cherish, these things that people just assumed. Zappa didn't assume very much. Everything was, you know, was, um, just a, a, a challenging the norms, challenging what people expect of him. You know, people just assumes, you know, assumed, yeah, you write music, you put it out there for people, you sell records. And he was like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, this, I'm just doing this. If you like it, great. You know, almost like a Dylan kind of approach, you know? Right. Um, and um, 
so, and, and then he got very political, you know, and this, you could, you could have a whole discussion about his political career, but he took on things like music censorship. Um, and, um, and then at one point he was like a, um, a, a, a representative for like the Czech Republic got really involved in the, what was happening with the Soviet union at the time and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's no surprise that he got very political with his beliefs and stuff. And, um, um, but yeah, but going back to this collage, I made this collage. And when I had that run in with Dweezil, I had his email and a few days after, um, I did the video with him. I thought, you know, when are, when are you going to have a chance to, uh, right. To be in touch with Dweezil Zappa. Exactly. So when I was, when I went home and visited, I found that collage, I took a picture of it and did a little color correction, fixed it up and, you know, sent a really nice heartfelt email to him saying, you know, I enjoyed doing the video and Oh, by the way, um, I did this collage of your dad when I was like a big fan high school and listening to all this stuff. And I thought you might enjoy it and, uh, never heard back from him. So, well, he texted me <laughs> yesterday and he said, oh, really? tell Zach, thank you. I love it. And I've been meaning to, I lost his number. And so we'll have to have him on again. You'll have to start nice. working for Pigtronics again and just yes. break your way into his, his house. Cause you yeah. know where he lives, right? I know where he lives. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe I should have added that to the email. P.S. I know where you live. <laughs> so if I don't hear from you, uh, <laughs> you never know. I might, <laughs> I might just show up while you're eating breakfast one morning. You never said anything about my collage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's important again to point out that you know, in 1993, as I was in my Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana phase, and I was just kind of getting out of Motley Crue and, and Poison, uh, you know, Zach was like, hey, man, have you listened to Zappa? And I was like, what? So, Zach, you're truly, uh, you know, an inspiration and, and, and you've gotten me into so much good music. Um, and in many cases, it took me a couple of years to finally get on on board, but, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's awesome to talk with you about this stuff because, uh, your knowledge is, it's, uh, it's just so in depth and, um, and it goes back a long, long time. And, and when, when I think about, you know, my taste back then, as much as I, I'm proud of them, I was listening to yesterday when I was working out, um, I was listening to, uh, uh, a, uh, hair, hair metal, uh, band and um and just reminiscing but um but you know zach was like hey man you know like you should check out rush you know you should check out frank zappa um oh by the way you know like there's this band called pink floyd um and uh and it 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 changed my life it it, it really did and um so i uh i value those experiences very much so um well yeah, thanks man. for thanks for joining and um we uh we will definitely do this again uh at some point soon and for those of you out there um take a little bit of a risk check out hot rats um and uh i promise you you won't be disappointed so thanks again enjoy thanks for having me ben yeah dude and thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of my podcast a first for me 
having a guest on the show. If you guys want more, you can go to albumreview.net. You can hear more podcasts. You can read more reviews. You can pick up albums that I've discussed or that I've reviewed in the past. You can pick up merchandise such as apparel. I now have new apparel on the website where you can get albumreview.net t-shirts and sweatshirts. So thank you very much and have a great day. Take a trip down by the highway 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 Take a trip down by the highway